0: Hello, chefs. Welcome to Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we're going to talk all about ingredients. Stay tuned. before we get into it, here's a brief update on some things that I was up to last week. I did an event. It was called Supper Club. We did it part of the Texas Food and Wine Alliance. We were out on the field. Everyone was cooking. I was not one of the featured chefs, but I kind of showed up anyway to hang out. With some chef friends who were the featured chefs and lend a hand in the kitchen. Anyway, it was a good turnout. You had Chef Graham Little, Jacob Chishchen. He's the chef of Garrison inside the Fairmont-Austin. We had Bertie Richter from the Emmer and Rye group. In this case, he was on the meat course. Michael Fodage great chef here in Austin from Olame Restaurant. And Laura Sawicki from Oseo here in Austin was on dessert. Anyway, everyone got together. It was a great event. Part of the Texas Food and Wine Alliance Wine and Dine Series. It was a good event to kick off. And th- these events are fun. So I know I'd, I've talked about this before that if you have an opportunity to go to events, you should, sometimes the price that you pay is that you've got to clean up the mess, but nonetheless, they're great events. We had some volunteer students from the Escoffier Culinary School here, so I was working with some of them. I got to chat with them. I enjoyed it, so maybe they're watching right now. I had fun. Good to meet you all. Anyway, we digress. Next weekend, I will be in Dallas at Jose Restaurant cooking with several other chefs. Anastasia Quinones is the host at Jose Restaurant. Rick Lopez from La Condesa here in Austin, Texas, Philip Spear from Commodore, myself from Chef's PSA, retired. Getting together to do another supper club. Go get tickets if you happen to be in Dallas. Reach out if you want to do a Cigar Sunday from Dallas. It'd be fun to meet up with some of the Dallas Chef community while we're out there. Finally finished with all the books. So all the books are available in all formats, including audiobook. Well, not, not exactly. The audiobooks are done. They're in the approval process. So that it should get approved any day now. Typically, it takes 10 business days. And uh, one has actually taken uh, almost 20 business days to get approved. It's the Kitchen Art of War, the audiobook. I had to redo that. I think I explained that in another episode. But the Bad Sue Good Chef audiobook will also be available here in the next few days. I'll make sure I announce it on Chef's PSA social channels. The audiobook is interesting. So I know I've talked about this a little bit before. The audiobook is a conversation between two chefs. So it's a mentor and a mentee. And it's basically to answer all the questions surrounding all the fears that a chef would have when they become a sous chef. So if you're moving from culinarian cook to sous chef, you probably have a lot of things going through your mind. Like, what are my friends going to think of me? How do I hold people accountable? How do I become a great chef? All these little doubts are going to creep in your mind. And this book is a conversation between a mentor and a new chef to teach them how to go from bad sous chef to good sous chef. Anyway, that's, that's the, if you guys didn't get the title, that's the, the play on words there. But the interesting thing about the audio book is, you know, the narrator had fun with the voice characters and it sounds like, uh, like uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles like master splinter talking with you know a young ninja turtle apprentice anyway it's fun i enjoyed it i think it's uh i think it's entertaining it's going to probably be one of the more entertaining audiobooks that i've done like i said this book is in the most different style from the other books in the chef's psa series a lot of people have told me they really enjoyed it people have told me they've cried after completing this book this is the only book that i've made people cry in. so eh. That's like the, the true test. If, if it, if it pulled your heartstrings and it made you cry, then it was a good book. Anyway, I don't want to give away the book. You should go get it. I've also, I talked about this last week. My website went down and I had to rebuild it. So chefspsa.com is redesigned brand new. I organized it. So it's much more easy to navigate. There's the homepage, which kind of tells you everything that I do. The podcast page, which obviously is about podcasting, the about There's a page just dedicated to the books that I've written, including um, the eBooks that are available for free on Gumroad. You should go get those. They're free. Go get them. Why, Why wouldn't you? And then a mentoring page for people that keep asking me about the mentorship program. I am on a wait for people that are interested in mentoring. I've taken on a little bit too many mentees. So there is a little bit of a waiting list. But for those of you that are interested in the mentorship program, you could email me on the website and you could get added to the waiting list if you are interested to today's subject, ingredients. Now, I got to tell you, when it comes to ingredients, I, I've done a couple of chef's PSAs on this, and I'm just kind of sticking my toe in the water, but I'm not sure if it's really making sense and resonating with everyone. Now, for the most part on chef's PSA, I usually cover the do's and don'ts, good habits, leadership, best practices in the kitchen, but I don't often talk about cooking specifically just because it's difficult to articulate food thoughts for people to learn without actually seeing it and quite honestly i'm not really going to get into cooking videos because it's a big upfront investment for what like 400 people to watch it i'm all right you all can watch someone else teach you how to clean an artichoke but the point being is that there's a couple of psas that i've done one and that is if you want to be a better chef use better ingredients. You instantly transform your food and take it to the next level if you're using better ingredients. Now, this is something that's highly misunderstood with a lot of cooks because they think when you get the ingredients, you have to do more to them for them to shine. And the reality is you probably need to do less to really good ingredients and you need to do more to ingredients that are not that good. When a tomato is absolutely perfect in season, ripe, You could probably just drizzle it with a little bit of olive oil and some good salt, and it's going to be amazing. When the tomato is out of season, it's a little underripe. You bought it in bulk. You probably have to do a lot more to that tomato to make it taste good, right? A lot of people say, oh, these tomatoes suck. Or maybe they don't like this specific dish. It has usually to do with the ingredients. Good ingredients you don't have to do much to. Another thing that I've talked about is if you want to understand food better, plant a garden. Now. I used to have a garden and it was on the rooftop and we used to plant all sorts of things. So herbs, strawberries, tomatoes, squashes, cruciferous vegetables. I had a couple of trees, I had a bay leaf tree, I had a fig tree, I had mustard growing. Anyway, what you start to understand when you grow food is that you understand when it's ripe, when it's underripe, when it's perfectly unripe you understand that things sometimes have multiple seasons. So maybe they bloom once and then they go away and they produce fruit and then they produce fruit again. I learned that about a fig tree. So I had figs in the spring and then I had figs in the late summer. And I thought that was interesting. I didn't realize figs did that twice. When I grew watermelon, for example, everyone thinks of watermelon as a summer fruit. When I grew watermelon late September, it was absolutely perfect. But it was short-lived. It was only for like 30 days that the watermelon was good. And then after that, it wasn't so good. Seeing herbs when they go to bloom and knowing that you got to manicure them and take care of them and there's a certain way to cut your herbs. Understanding when several groups of fruit and vegetables come in season together that you probably want to group those together. You could learn a lot about just paying attention to nature. And I could, I could really geek out on this and get into it, but like... Um, I used to have thoughts like, okay, you should pair things together with how they grow together. So if all things grow on vines then they probably taste good. And then you could look at like inverse colors. So something red might pair well with something green. So classic example is basil and tomatoes, right? Both of them are extremely beautiful in the summer. Hence why it is a classic pairing. You look at something like sushi, fish. Are underwater, typically they're the third stage of sunlight. Same thing with the seaweed, the nori that goes with it, third stage of sunlight. You pair that with wasabi, a rhizome, grows in the dark, underground, third stage of sunlight. You pair those together and you have a classic combination. So when you start to pay attention how people put together food and flavors that work together, you start to see the combinations and your mind really starts to run with them. Your creativity. You'll understand, as they say, when it grows together, it goes together. Things that are in season go together, et cetera. But a lot of chefs discount the fact that having good ingredients is like a superpower. When I was in California, one of my very first trips, I was in San Francisco and we were at the farmer's market. I'll I'll never forget this because I was coming from Texas, moving to California, and we're walking down the farmer's market and there's this farmer selling grapes. And one of my chef friends that I was with Went and tried the grape, but the person was like, Do you want to try grapes? I was like, "Ah, I'm all right. I've I've had grapes before. So my friend tried the grape, you know, to placate them, whatever. And my friend was like, You need to try this grape. And I'm like, I'm okay. I've had a grape before. And he's like, Nope, you really need to try this grape. I was like, nah, I'm all right. He was like, just try the grape. Fine. So I tried the grape, and I was like, Oh shit, that's a really good grape. And I'll never forget, because it was like a grape times 10. It was like, it was almost like grape bubblegum. I couldn't explain it. It was like, it it was a grape that tasted like what you imagine a grape should taste like, but not what grapes usually taste like. And it piqued my interest. So then I started really trying the food and, and there at the farmer's market. And what you discovered was that what they were selling had a completely different flavor profile than what I was used to. So then when I became a chef in California, I remember we were getting produce deliveries and I was talking to my sous chef at the time and he was really upset at the quality of yellow squash that we had received. And he was like, oh, these are crap. I'm going to send them back. And I remember looking at the squash and I was like, these might be the most beautiful squash I've ever seen. He's like, no, these are shit. These are like number twos over here. Now, what was a number two would have been like a number one plus plus where I was coming from. and It was like one of these moments, like you really saw how the quality of ingredients made such a big difference. And this was like a pivotal learning point. Like every now and again, people talk about growth spurts that they have in their career. This was a growth spurt that I had in my career to really appreciate ingredients and understand there's levels to this game when it comes to good quality ingredients. And farmers and artisans that can create exceptional products. really, you, you can't compete with them. So an argument could be made by a chef That says I can reduce my labor cost by having better ingredients because it requires less manipulation to get to the end product. All these things are very important when it comes to creating delicious food. When I would think about growth spurts that I've had as a chef, I could think about different ingredients that have given me challenges or have challenged me as a chef. And you know, early on, When you're first learning how to cook and you're in culinary school or you get your first couple of restaurant jobs, it's a lot of the same repetition. It's potatoes, it's tomatoes, onions, garlic, shallots. And you get really good at working with these vegetables and fruits. Then all of a sudden you get introduced, like I said, you kind of level up and you get introduced to new things. So maybe these are mushrooms. And when I first started working with shiitake mushrooms, I had never worked with shiitake mushrooms before. I was a green cook, so I would cook them. And I ate one and I was like, this is fucking disgusting. I didn't like it. It was like so chewy and woody and dense. And then someone came up to be like, you got to remove the stem. You don't eat the stem on the shiitake mushrooms. I didn't know that all of a sudden, understanding that you can't treat a shiitake mushroom, like every other mushroom. I needed to remove the stem because it didn't taste. good. I could have had another use for it, but not how we were serving it at that time. When I first worked with fava beans. Fresh fava beans. I had never worked with fava beans before. And I remember I peeled them the first, you know, out of the, out of the husk and the person next to me kind of cracked a joke because I didn't know what I was doing with fava beans. I didn't realize you had to peel them a second time because I thought they were good to go. And again, like I said, you're leveling up in complexity when you start introducing different ingredients to your skill set. knowing how to work with fava beans. Oh, you gotta, you gotta shuck them once and then you have to shuck them again. Now, a lot of people will tell you there's a lot of different ways. Maybe you blanch them prior. Maybe you don't blanch them prior. doesn't matter. That's your choice individual. Kitchens are going to have different opinions on it. But in my case, where I was the chef, we would blanch them and then shuck them the second time. And then it's, it's these things that are important. Like when you're creating, if you're doing big pot blanching, as they say, the water needs to be salty and it should taste like the ocean. Well, how do you know that? Well, you taste the water, right? You taste the water and you make sure it tastes like the ocean. A lot of people would say to me, well, how do you know when the water is salty enough? I said, well, did you you taste your pasta water? Did you taste your blanching water? No, I didn't. Well, then how do you know if it's salty enough? It's part of a chef's understanding of things to taste everything. When you go down the line, you taste everything. But that includes the pasta water when you're setting it up for cooking pasta, blanching green vegetables, whatever the case may be. I'll never forget when I first was introduced to artichokes. There's this video right now going around Instagram where this guy is like with a knife cleaning an artichoke, like, I don't know, like in 20 seconds or whatever. And then he gets a spoon and then he carves out the choke and uh, like, how fucking sharp is that spoon? <laughs> he just, he just pulls it out like butter or how soft is the artichoke one way or the other. Anyway, he d- he just does like a pristine job with the artichoke. And artichokes is one of those ingredients that trips a lot of chefs up because You don't work with it. You go through your career and you may have only worked with artichokes out of a can. And then all of a sudden, someone gives you a fresh artichoke and you're like, what the hell is this thing? And it's it's so large and it's thorny. And then you start cleaning. It's like, what? What's going on here? There's a lot of different ways to do it. Then it starts oxidizing. When I used to do cooking interviews for executive chefs or any position really in the kitchen, I'd always give them an artichoke. So I'd give them a couple of different things, a whole chicken, a whole lobster, a whole fish and a whole artichoke. I'd say, you do whatever you want. I just want to see you Fabricate these and then use them in a dish. And the artichoke was usually the one that would throw everyone off. And I'm talking about like executive chefs, chef the cuisines. It didn't matter what position you were in. The artichoke was always the Achilles heel for most chefs. I've had chefs be like, oh, sometimes I would give them like a Comey helper and they would like give their artichoke to the Comey, like, hey, can you do this? Because I'm really busy. It's like, it's not that they're busy. I just they don't know how to clean an artichoke. I had one chef, one time executive chef tasting candidate. I won't say who. Honestly, I don't even remember the guy's name, so I guess it doesn't matter. But he was interviewing for an executive chef position and I was hiring him and I gave him the artichoke and as he cleaned it, when he was done with his dish, inside the artichoke is what they call the choke and they're very thorny thistles. And he garnished his dish with the choke And I just remember asking him, like, have you ever eaten that? And he's like, no, I just thought it looked pretty. I was like, well, you know, there's a reason it's called an artichoke, right? He didn't know. He had never worked with an artichoke. So it's one of those things. You have to expose yourself to many ingredients so you could learn these little lessons and the little nuance that goes with cooking different ingredients. We're talking about mushrooms. And I did a chef's PSA on this, I don't know, two days ago about cleaning the grit out of your morel mushrooms. Now, when I first worked with morels, I I'd never worked with them. We got the dried kind. So we had to rehydrate them in warm water. And then we'd strain the water and turn that into like a mushroom stock or something like that. But then eventually you graduate to the fresh morels and you don't know, like there's sometimes there's little creatures living in those things and you got to soak them to pull them out. So the way I would do it is I would soak my morels in a couple of changes of clean water and you lift them out gently. So all the grit and sand kind of stays on the bottom. Until the water is clean, after about three changes, then I would lay them out on a on a small tray with like a either serviette or some towels so they dry, and then we'd use them there. Someone commented on Chef's PSA, so I, I apologize. I don't remember who commented. So this is for you. They said to put a couple of drops of vinegar in the water when you're soaking morels, and what were my thoughts on that? I said i I've, I've never done it, so I don't know what would happen. It sounds like in theory that would help with the cleaning of the morels, but I really don't know. But understanding when you're working with different ingredients, so like morels or like truffles, like people that don't know this, if you don't work with truffles, what's the number one rule when the truffle person comes in? You weigh the fucking truffles. If you bought a pound of truffles, when the truffle guy shows up, you pull out a scale and you You make sure that you have a pound of truffles. Like that is truffle 101. And then you check them, you make sure that they're not slimy. I've had I've had vendors come in and try and pawn off slimy truffles, but if you don't know what you're looking for, you're going to end up with a bad product. So understanding and having experience with a variety of ingredients is very important. Like they say, when you slice a truffle in half, it should almost look like wagyu, right? With all the striations of white throughout the truffle. That's, that's usually the indicator of a good truffle or like Matsutake mushrooms. Anyway, we could get into the creatures that are living in Matsutakis or tuna or whatever, but understanding how to inspect food when it comes in is important. And sometimes it's just the littlest thing. A big mistake that I think is pretty common that I notice in a lot of new cooks is just they don't know, right? Maybe because they haven't eaten the item or they just haven't worked a lot with an item, but like the little adductor muscle that's attached to the scallop, knowing that you should remove that before you cook the scallop. A lot of people don't do that. Usually because they don't know. Prosciutto is another one to remove the hard skin before you slice it or salami and you got to peel it sometimes. A lot of people just serve that prosciutto with the exterior skin on it. It's like, you you can't eat that. Someone's going to choke. But again, these are things that when you're inexperienced with food, until you start exposing yourself to a multitude of ingredients, you just may not know. In addition to transforming the ingredient to refine them to a level where they become more beautiful. That's really what is a big secret of fine dining. It's that they refine something to the point of perfection and excellence, or at least close to it, right? To the idea of perfection. It's peeling tomatoes, the little cherry tomatoes, making sure that they're the perfect tomato and then removing the skins to make sure that they're easier to chew through or easier to digest. That's a level of refinement that you see in high-end restaurants. It adds a different texture to a tomato dish if they're peeled versus unpeeled. And then you have to question, how are you going to peel them? Are you going to blanch them first, concassé style? Or do you peel them from raw? Much more difficult, but leads to a better texture. So food for thought, things that you have to consider when you're creating dishes. More labor-intensive, better end product. Then there's the considerations of extending shelf life. So you could compress things. So I used to compress microgreens often, so in ice water, so they could hold longer. A lot of people will just put microgreens or garnishing herbs in ice water, so they crisp up. It's a great tactic, but you could also, if you have a back machine, you could compress those so they last longer, but then you could even go further. Maybe you could compress lettuces. Maybe you're doing garnishes with hearts of romaine, You could compress your cucumbers in ice water and it completely changes the look of them. There's also compression without ice water and maybe you're infusing flavors. So maybe you're adding a little bit of a brine or a marinade or something to something that might not be as good. Sometimes your peaches aren't so great. So you might need to infuse a little simple syrup and compress them to make them better. Peaches are one of those, like, it could be peach season and the peaches are shit, especially in Texas. Speaking of peaches, you know, again, I was I was talking with someone the other day. It's like they had no idea that the stone inside the peach—you crack that open—there's like a little almond. I don't know what it's technically called, but there's like a little almond inside the peach pit, and that is like the uh, that's like the cyanide, the B seventeen, amygdalin flavor, what they usually have for almond extract flavor that usually comes from peaches. So, but it's like it looks just like an almond. I, I, Careful, don't go out and eat that because it is poisonous. So that's my warning. Do not eat that. But it's, again, just exploring food to its fullest potential. And after you've worked with different types of ingredients and you understand produce, you could learn so much from produce, and you have your cooking methods, and you have a firm understanding of different ingredients and how to manipulate those ingredients, That's really where high-level cooking comes in. It's not always about just adding everything to a pan with some oil and tossing it and putting it on a plate. Sometimes there's a level of refinement that comes into preparation. Anyway, this was a food episode. Hopefully you could take away some good tips or at least maybe I piqued your interest in exploring food and different ingredients to learn from. Maybe you haven't worked with an artichoke, go work with artichokes. It's on the culinary decathlon. Anyway. That's it for today. If you want to support the show, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you leave a thumbs up, subscribe to my YouTube page. Someone asked me to put up a video on my morning routine. So that is now live only on YouTube. I'm not going to do a podcast on it. It has really nothing to do with chef stuff. But for those of you curious, I did put that up on my YouTube page. Go follow on all social accounts, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Make sure you leave five stars and If you want some of the books, go to chefspsa.com, newly revamped, looks good. I like, I built the site myself, by the way. I mean, people's like, might want to hire me to be their web designer pretty soon. Anyway, thank you very much. See you next week. Hit the porno music.